The author is Daniel, which is indicated numerous times in the book. His name means God is my judge. The time span of Daniel begins around 605 B.C. and goes to 536 B.C., a period of 69 years. According to John MacArthur, the long-continued sin of disobedience of the Judeans without national repentance eventually led to God's judgment, of which Jeremiah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah had given fair warning. Israel, the northern kingdom, had earlier fallen to Assyria in 722 B.C., but with Judah's captivity, the judgment was now complete. James Montgomery Boyce shares, Daniel was a godly man sent to live in an ungodly Babylon at a time when God's blessing upon the Jewish nation seemed to have been withdrawn or postponed. This meant that his position was much like that of believers trying to live in a secular society today. Now we get to the first part of Daniel's testimony in Daniel 1, 1-7. And that is Daniel's capture. Daniel's capture. The nation of Judah is besieged. It's attacked in verses 1 and 2 as we read. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. There's quite a few parallel passages that talk about this same event. We won't read those, but 2 Kings 24 is one of those passages, and the other is 2 Chronicles 36 that talk about this time of capture. Jehoiakim was the wicked son of Josiah, who ruled Judah for 12 years. Nebuchadnezzar was the son of Nabopolazar and ruled Babylon for 43 years. So that's just a little background. The siege of Jerusalem fulfilled the warnings of the prophets who had warned that judgment was coming because the nation had ignored the Sabbath day of every seven years resting the land. Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon, and so he moves all the sacred vessels of the temple in the temple in Jerusalem to the temple of his main god, Marduk. And it says, to the city of Shinar, which is another name for Babylon. So it was very common for the victorious nation to take all they could from the nation that they defeated. And if they had a place to store it, they would store it where they could see, hey, we look over here, we see we conquered Jerusalem. We have all their sacred vessels here kind of showing off a little bit. In a sense, kind of like a trophy case. Daniel and the other Jewish teenagers are chosen. And so we see that in verses 3 to 7. Not only are they besieged, but they are ordered to choose the, the elite, the best of the crop, so to speak, of the nation that they just conquered. 
So the king, Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. And here's the qualifications. Youths in which there was no defect. No defect. Good-looking. Showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom. Endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge. And who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they would enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them and to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. We're all kind of familiar later on in the book of Daniel what's going to happen. Uh, His three friends, of course, would have a fiery furnace they would face. And Daniel, even though he was faithful in his service, he would encounter a den of lions. But God here is with these four that are mentioned here in the book of Daniel as they're taken captive. And I got to thinking, teenagers, the age of 14 to 17, being taken from their homes and then carted across to Babylon and put in, once they were chosen, into this intensive three-year training. And I don't think, knowing what we know about Nebuchadnezzar, this was kind of a pass-fail kind of class. Anybody ever had a pass-fail when they were in school? Not where you get a letter grade, but you pass or fail. Well, if you failed here, Nebuchadnezzar was known, uh, that was the end of your life. So you, when you were chosen, when you were one of those who met those qualifications as Daniel and his friends did, you were placed in this three years of, I would call, a sort of brainwashing. Now, as I was thinking about that, I remember while I was serving as a chaplain at Pinellas County Jail, one thing our senior chaplain had us do was visit some of the different groups in the area. And so we were required to go down to Clearwater. And without naming the group that was there, we had to take a tour, so to speak, of what all went on there with their teaching and with a little bit of what they believed and it was interesting as a couple other chaplains were with me we tried to talk to these people who were in their little areas they knew exactly what to say if you ask them anything else they just stared at you and it was kind of reminding me of what could have been going on with this brainwashing with Daniel and his three friends. Brainwashing tries to take everything you know from the past and fill it with something to replace it. And here they wanted Daniel and his three friends to change over to the Chaldean beliefs. And of course, they worshipped one God, right? They had many, many gods. They had their favorites. They had their little temple over here for maybe Marduk and one over here for Nebo. 
And so part of the brainwashing that went on with Daniel and his three friends were to rename him. So instead of Daniel, uh, his name was going to be changed to what? What's it say? Belteshazzar, which means one God. No, it means it talks about the God that they had in Babylon. And so they were changed, all of them, from things that mentioned the one true God to different names that mention the many gods of Babylon. So as Daniel and his three friends undergo this this training, they are taught many things about the Chaldeans. They are taught about the gods. They are taught about everything to do with Babylon. And James Montgomery Boyce adds this, in order to understand Daniel, we must realize that the Babylon to which Daniel and his three friends were taken was a secular, worldly place. Nebuchadnezzar ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to choose young men who could be molded by their new environment. So Daniel's capture as a teenager, I would say, was a traumatic event, right? I mean, you're taking everything that that you know is left behind and everything that reminded you of home is taken during that capture and replaced over into Babylon and they want you to suddenly learn all about Babylon and everything going on there. But as I was thinking about this going on in Daniel's life and his three friends, I was reminded of what an inmate wrote I'm blessed to get what's called a little periodical called Loaves and Fishes, which has a lot of uh, stories. It has a lot of testimonies of different inmates from around the country. And this one was written by Larry Harris, and he's serving time in Fort Stockton, Texas. It's entitled You're Not Alone. It may be an encouragement to you as it was to me when I read through this. So many people do not believe in the name of Jesus Christ. It is because of all the troubles that have happened in their life. There are some who believed in him who backslid and turned away. The bad things that happened in this life made them lose their faith to pray. Some speak to me words of defeat during the storm I'm going through. I then reply with my head up high that I have faith and you should too. In this life I live, I have struggled. I have seen so many rainy days. There were times I would have given up, but instead I cried and prayed. The devil whispers in my ear that there's no way I can go on. Then it appears as I pray in tears that God has left me and is gone. I feel so convicted and ashamed for all the sins and wrong I've done but I have faith that God will finish the work that he's begun. So many people do not believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, I am a living witness that God can change your life. For every problem I've had in life, God has moved them all away. That is because instead of giving up, I chose to fight and pray. God has never let me down in all the storms I've gone through. God has been so good to me. And he will do the same for you. I thought that's a good reminder. And it reminded me that Daniel didn't feel alone, did he? 
because he knew God was with him, even though he was a prisoner of war. He was undergoing these three years of intensive training to erase everything that he believed. But we'll see, and we know with Daniel, he could have compromised, couldn't he? He could have backed off. He could have went along with the program, but he remained faithful to God because God had been faithful to him. The second part of Daniel's testimony was his convictions. And I think it's important that we know what we believe, especially in the world we live in now. There's a lot of false teaching around. There's a lot of things that will use a a Bible verse here and there, but they'll twist it and turn it and make it say something that God never intended for it to say. And so we see, beginning in verse 8, Daniel uh, showing that his convictions is what he's going to stand on, even though he's now taken captive. Beginning of verse 8, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now as we look back at what we've already studied, it would have been easy for Daniel to give in and eat the king's food. I'm sure he had all the best things that you could have from around the world. He was the, and Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful ruler at that time. And so his wine, his delicacies, all the food that he had. But do you think all that food is really good for you? Probably not. Donuts, cakes, that's what I'm starting to think of. Pies, you know, uh, everything you can think of that might put on a pound or two here and there. Probably wasn't the best to be eating. But the important thing is here with Daniel's convictions, verse 8. As we're reading this section, Daniel, it says, made up his mind. Some translations have, uh, he purposed in his heart. He resolved that he would not defile himself. We live in a world where it's really easy to go along with things going on. And they say, come join us. You know, don't be a party pooper. Come over here and join us. Do what we're doing. Take part in it. And it's easy to do that. And Daniel, remember, he's a teenager here. And he made up his mind that he was going to do what? He was going to obey God no matter what. Are convictions important today? I think we need to know what we believe or we can be easily misled. And here's just a a couple of convictions that I hold to. And everything we believe is a conviction we need the Bible to back it. And when I wrote these up years ago, I remember it's got to be from Scripture, these convictions, because if it's based on anything else, it's based on man's thinking, man's uh, convictions, not, not my own. But these are based on God's convictions. Here's one. The Bible is God's written revelation to man given to us by the Holy Spirit. And the 66 books of the Bible constitute the Word of God. It's verbally inspired in every word and absolutely inerrant in the original documents, infallible and God-breathed. That's one. 
Another one, there is but one living and true God, perfect in all his attributes, one in essence, eternally in three persons, each equally deserving worship and obedience. And then this is one that's not real popular around the world. Man was directly and immediately created by God in his image. In Adam's sin of disobedience to the will of God, man lost his innocence and became subject to the wrath of God. Consequently, man is inherently corrupt and is incapable of doing what is acceptable to God apart from divine grace. Man is hopelessly lost. Man's salvation is wholly of God's grace through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then on salvation is wholly of God by grace on the basis of the redemption of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of his shed blood, and not on the basis of human works or merit. So we need to know what we believe. And we need to base everything we believe on what? On the Word of God. On Scripture. Will God see us through these troubled times? Is He just faithful one day and then not the next? Or what about from one crisis to the next? As we see God work, He always hears our prayers. We know that. Does God always answer our prayers in the way we predict He should? (laughs) What does it say in Romans 8.28? How many? Not 92% or 99% or 80%? All things. And it's for our good because if it's for God's good and He's the one in charge and He's without sin and He's holy and He loved us so much that He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross so we could be saved, if if it's all according to His plan, it's got to be for our good, doesn't it? Because God doesn't do things for evil in any way because He's holy God. And He loves us even when we'd give up on ourselves. I heard a song on Christian radio was talking about, you know, if I were God, I would have given up on myself. You know, something to that effect. But God doesn't give up on us. And even sometimes when we think He doesn't hear us, He hears us. He walks with us through the troubled times and we know those that we've been reminded of martyrs around the world who dying for their faith and we in america again have been so blessed even though we don't deserve any of it to have the freedoms that we do even to meet and to study god's word together when troubles come it's to it's important to know that what we believe is what we need to stand on in those troubled times, and that's based on the Word. A commentator shower shares this, The pressure to conform to Babylon's pagan culture was severe upon Daniel and his friends. They're only teenagers subjected to the authority of the most powerful adult ruler on earth. And when you think about that, that would be quite a challenge, and yet God is with Daniel and his friends. We get pressure at times to compromise our beliefs. And often we do compromise, but God calls us to take a stand. And we can only do it with whose help? Willpower? No, God's help. 
That's the only way. Henry Ironside writes, These men stood firmly for the God of Israel and refused to dishonor him by compliance with a demand that would have rendered them unclean before him. So Daniel offers the head of the eunuchs here. He offers them an alternative so he doesn't have to disobey God concerning the king's wine and the food. As we look, picking it up again in verse 8. It says that Daniel sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. And then we get to verse 9. What an encouragement. Now God granted Daniel favor. Who did? God did. God didn't leave him. Even though Daniel and his three friends were taken from their home that they knew as teenagers, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. I'm reminded as Pastor Steve has gone through the book of Acts, how many times did God grant favor for Paul from those who were in charge of Paul while he was on his way to Rome? Time and time again, God prepares. He can use anyone or anything to accomplish his purpose, can't he? Does God ever make a mistake? says, uh-oh, Oh, that happened with John. Now i got to go to plan B. God doesn't do that because his plans, his plans for us never get messed up. We're the ones who at times say, God, I want to do my own way. And God has to bring us back and discipline us because he loves us. And he never gives up on us. Communication between Daniel and the, this head that he goes to and asks for permission to give a proposal. And so God granted Daniel favor and compassion. The commander of the officials said to Daniel, and this is a human reaction here, I'm afraid of my Lord the King, who has appointed your food and your drink, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. He knew Nebuchadnezzar didn't go with failure. And he, he thought, well, if Daniel and his three friends, if they have an alternative and they look worse for the wear, and they could go before the king, who's going to get in trouble? He's going to lose his head. And I don't know too many can function with no head, right? That's the way Nebuchadnezzar was. He didn't have failure. You lost your life if you didn't do the things that the king asked you to do. And so he's fearful. But then Daniel, here's what he says, because his eyes are where? On himself? Now, let me come up with a plan. Now, they're on God. Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So there's the alternate plan, God's plan. Let us for 10 days eat vegetables. I don't, I'm sure they had all kinds of vegetables. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man at that time, ruler. He had all kinds of vegetables. What vegetables can we think of? Cauliflower and broccoli and all those good ones. 
Surely you have some vegetables that everybody likes. Brussels sprouts, yeah. Now, Brussels sprouts are good, but I get kind of, and I like them, but they kind of permeate the house, and then I get a lot of bad reactions like, what's that smell? And it's actually something good, but whatever the vegetables were, I'm sure they laid out a, all kinds of them for, for to have this test. Uh, this is what Daniel's thinking. Let us eat vegetables and drink water, not the wine, not all the choice things that the king had. But the great thing is here, and we see God working again, uh, verse 16, so he listened to them. Who was helping him listen? This isn't, a, this isn't a believer here at all. God was helping him. God was moving again in their lives. They're taken prisoner. They're prisoners of war, these young teenagers, and they're, they're having to uh, be taken from their homes. But here it says that he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. I thought about that. 10-day test doesn't seem that long. But I, I guess if you're eating all the choice foods and drinking the wine, there was probably one group, and then there's Daniel and his three friends eating the vegetables and the water and the other group. And what's going to happen? And then we get to verse 15, because this is the results of what happened. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter, than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. I don't know, that word fatter doesn't mean they put on heavy weight. That means they look better. That's the word that's used here for fatter. We think of fatter as, wow, they put on 10 pounds and look better that way. No, this is a reference to they looked healthier. You could see a difference. So the 10 trial was set up. They looked better. And at the end of the trial, I'm sure there was a sigh of relief from the commander of the officials because he didn't want to lose his head because he knew that would happen if they ended up looking worse. But this short test here that I believe God directed showed that they actually looked healthier. So it says, as we see, that at the end of the 10 days, uh, they were fatter. The overseer continued to withhold the choice food and wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And then we see, uh, it says, as for the these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in a few branches of literature and wisdom. Every branch. So God continued to walk with these four men, these four teenagers who were taken out of their home, prisoners of war during these three years, and God watched over them and helped them, gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And then Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams as we see uh, later on in the book of Daniel. So Daniel was sticking to his convictions. Henry Ironside adds this, This brings out a principle of great force and beauty that should appeal to every Christian heart and conscience. Mark you, the only way to go on with God is by being faithful 
in little things. And I got to thinking, as Henry Ironside had shared that, a great preacher, a great commentator, these young men were teenagers, so they didn't have a whole lifetime of being able to study the Old Testament, study God's Word. They had a short time, teenaging. And teenagers, we think of that, Teenagers don't necessarily have all the wisdom in the world, do they? But many of them think so. But Daniel and his friends had that. And in the little things, apparently, they had in their own lives, Daniel and his three friends already had put their trust in God on a daily basis because that was what was going to sustain them even though they were taken as prisoners when their nation fell. Daniel and his friends took a stand and God honored that. How often has God done that in our lives? A time when we stood firm on our beliefs and God stood with us. It's not easy. But with God before us, who can stand against us? Who can successfully knock us down when God is on our side? And as Paul has said in God's Word as well, What's the worst really that can happen, that we're ushered into heaven? Is heaven a great place to be? Is there anything better? And when things start getting more troubling in our own nation, and it's likely that will happen, it should make us more and more homesick for where? Heaven. That's one thing I am very blessed to have had Christian parents that are in a rest home now, but I was uh, to have them in my own life as examples to me that my mom, I, I try to call them every Sunday afternoon, and my mom said, you know, if I don't get to see you on this earth another time, she said, I'll see you in heaven. And I know they're they're physically still here, but they were yearning for heaven. And I think, as I was reminded, as we were reminded in the service with uh, Frank shared, whatever we pile up here on this earth is temporary. Everything up in heaven, that's going to be for eternity. And I don't know if you have ever heard of Ray Boltz. Uh, they sang a song. He sang a song called Thank You. And it talks about the little things in our lives that God uses us for God's glory that we just kind of look past it and we don't really see it. But then when we look back and we might see it. But anyway, that song talks about all the little things in our lives like it talks about teaching Sunday school with little kids and this man dreams of going to heaven and he gets there and there's a little boy who grew up and he said, that one time you said, is Jesus speaking to you and do you want to accept Jesus in your life? I prayed the prayer and I did. And that's one of the rewards of seeing those that God has used us to be a witness for His glory that came to know Jesus as Savior who will be up in heaven someday. Won't that be a great reunion? And we won't have the bodies that wear out. As uh, Pastor Frank was sharing this morning, uh, the aches and pains of getting up. Anybody else have trouble with that in the morning? And oh, and then Carol will say, what, what's that groaning? I say, I'm just getting up. 
You know, I, I'm trying to remind everything to still work. And I know nobody else gets Charlie horses, but I do once in a while. And getting up can be a challenge. But someday we won't have to have any of that challenge. We'll have a new body. We'll be with the Lord forever. The third part of Daniel's testimony is shared beginning of verse 17. And that is his commission. Daniel's commission. Beginning of verse 17. is for the four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch Literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days which the king had specified were presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all not one was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. What does it say? God gave them, verse 17. God gave them that commission. That not only were they to be a testimony, but they were commissioned by God to be a witness in a high place because when they were questioned by the ruler, greatest ruler of that time, Nebuchadnezzar, they were ten times, I don't want to say smarter, but they were stood out ten times over the rest of those, even those who had already been in the service of the king. Commentator Shower shares God enabled Daniel and his friends to learn their subjects well. He gave them a gift of wisdom so that they would distinguish true knowledge from the false. So God was with them. And I want to close. I don't want to go over time. I don't want to hear grumbling or yeah, grumbling stomachs. I don't want anybody to be starving. But I think it's important to know and be encouraged by Daniel in this first chapter. If we face more troubling times in America, which we probably will, God is with us just like he was with Daniel. Daniel was taken captive and his three friends and God walked with him. God watched over him. He had a plan for him just like he does for each one of us. But what I want to challenge each one of us with a final question Am I standing strong in these troubled times? And if not, lean on the Lord. He won't topple over. He won't let us down. Whatever comes, give it to Him. Because worry distracts us from serving God. And I'm telling myself that. Every day, we have the privilege to walk on this earth with Jesus. And He said, I will walk with you through everything that comes in your life. Just trust me. Because God is faithful, we need to be faithful as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this brief time to to look at Daniel and to be encouraged by his testimony that you walk with us in troubled times, but we need to stand strong and we can only do it with your power. Be with us this week, each one here. Help us to walk with you Trust you every step of every day. I praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.